1: Hey, everybody. Yep, it's me again. This is Dr. Pat. You're listening to Dr. Pat's show. I'm here with Mr. Benny. Hello, Mr. B. Hi, Pat. All right. Ready for another one? Always. Awesome. So here's what we're going to talk about. This is kind of cool. Beyond the imprint with Kate O'Connell, a new modality for mental health practitioners. Hallelujah. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Uh, Kate's joining us here today, a child and family therapist, private practice in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, you know, what Kate has been doing is she's really in the middle of it. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is practicing. See, that's what I'm saying. Child and Family Therapist. So that means she's addressing the needs of children, adolescents, adults, and families. Now, training in intensive in-home services, addiction, family systems, therapy, energy medicine, all of the above. And without having that integrated approach for things, it is close to impossible to really figure out what is happening in the world today The other day, you heard me talk about these young people in a town right down the road from us who, for whatever reason we may never know, decided right in the middle of Kirkland that they were going to do something called car surfing. And what does that mean? Uh, Does that mean that they're just having fun? Does it mean that there's something we need to be more mindful of? I'll tell you what it means. It means that there is <laughs> that there is the death of someone in an act that doesn't make sense to people. Because if we keep looking at the act without looking at what's going on, then we will continue to have this and more of that. Today... You know, we're looking at a world, and you heard me share earlier, my mother committed suicide when I was seven. We're now looking at a world that is exponentially uh, geared up for many, many, many worldly things that could affect us. But what is it that Kate O'Connell has discovered? And why is this book, Beyond the Imprint, hope? for a better future for those that are suffering. Kate, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and for the opportunity to talk about what it is I've managed to figure out so far.
1: Well, thank goodness for you. You know, and I'm I'm serious when I said that... um, last week, I think it was, you know, July nineteenth or twentieth, um, uh, um, there was a, an eighteen-year-old that was arrested uh, from the death of another man, uh, also eighteen years old, in a in a city, Kirkland, right down the road here, um, when he was riding uh, uh, what they call car surfing uh clearly, you know, further investigation, maybe drugs, maybe alcohol, I think. The point is not any of that. The point is for me, are we going to and are we willing to find out what seems to be troubling people? And I want to ask you, in your journey, what is it that has gotten you so passionate about bringing a new narrative to the, to the table for those seeking help and those helping others seeking help?
2: Well, you've completely distilled down what I've done to the essence of what I've attempted to do, and it does start with understanding um, my own journey. I can only bring um, to the conversation what my insights have been and how they unfolded as it relates my own awareness of what difficulties, what traumas, what imprinting I've experienced throughout life and understanding that all of my dysfunctional relationships, all of my behaviors uh, have all been in response to experiences that I've had at the cellular level that have essentially negated me. Um, and this is what's actually going on. As you've identified the demographics that I'm actually the most passionate about working with is adolescence. I think of childhood as being the platform uh, for the foundation of establishing safety within the individual at the cellular level, depending on how responsive uh, the environment was to their needs at the most basic level. And then adolescence being the platform for establishing the foundation for a sense of self, a sense of identity. And what's happening is that we have the collective consensus that's expressing through the system, through mental health, through the legal system, through the social services agencies that are interacting with children, adolescents, and families in an attempt to keep them alive, to keep them safe. But the, the traditional approach from where I'm sitting has always been to address the behavior, to identify that there's something wrong with the behavior, and to focus primarily on the behavior, and to try to control the behavior. By controlling the individual through either legal interventions or medication, which has become a um, an experiment in in for the first time in history that started back in the 80s, in which we're actually medicating our children without any longitudinal studies in place that haven't been funded by pharmaceutical companies to identify what the impact has been on their brain. So. My, I There's many ways to talk about this, but you've laid the, the groundwork for really getting into what this is all about, is in understanding all of the pain and suffering that I've experienced in my life
1: yeah,
2: uh, as a result of trauma that I experienced in my life, and understanding all of my defense mechanisms, including substance abuse, significant substance abuse from the age of 15 to 25, In order to medicate myself, so that I didn't connect to the feelings that were associated with that trauma, Um, I've come to understand that that we need to be looking at this at the cellular level. That we are actually carrying within the 50 trillion cells of our body Mm -hmm. the memories of not only everything that we've ever experienced, but what we've inherited at the moment of conception through our respective DNA lineages. And that continues to set us up to cycle through dysfunctional relationship patterns as well as expressing through dysfunctional behaviors in an attempt to get our needs met unconsciously in a way that they were not met at critical stages of development.
1: Well, I, 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 I think every once in a while, listen... Every once in a while, okay, I think that we're getting smarter, we're getting wiser, and we're, you really want to understand. Then all of a sudden, there's a show that hits the television. Uh, it was on the other night, Megyn Kelly's show, about let's get rid of all these sober approaches. And by the way, let's give somebody a pill. Let's give let's give somebody that has an addiction, alcoholism problem, a pill. And I'm thinking to right. myself, what the bleep am I missing here? I don't get it. Can you help me understand well,
2: this? Well, you're not missing anything. Just by the fact that you recognize that we need to be questioning that, is indicative of the, of the fact that you're not missing anything. That you're recognizing, as I began to recognize, as I started late in life, my practice in the field of mental health counseling, I started to realize over and over and over how reliant we've all been conditioned to be on something outside of us to make us feel better about ourselves. So that is inherently what a codependent relationship is, and then becoming over-reliant on allopathic medicine and the pharmaceutical companies to give us a magic pill uh, in order to to make us feel better, which is what Pink Floyd was referring to in Comfortably Numb. And these are all mechanisms that are outside of us that we participate in in order to not feel what it is we don't want to feel. And those are detours that don't end end up allowing us to actually have the experience that we all deeply desire, which is to be at peace with the self. So no matter what comes into my practice, no matter what the initial narrative is, what we do immediately is we change the paradigm of therapy that's playing out in the community across the country, and we focus primarily on the self. And we recognize that the only person who is fundamentally responsible for meeting your needs is you, and that you absolutely have the capacity to do it. And that's where the conversation starts shortly after I meet the client for the first time.
1: You know, one of the things that I there's so many things I want to talk with you about, but I want to just jump right into it is that, you know, I look for these nuggets, like even with a show like that on TV, I listen to the statistics, of course, you know, we know the statistics and they're understated. We also know that, you know, the kind of treatment that is, what, what is the term? The kind of treatment that is fingerprinted, so to speak, in this country is whatever Medicaid is going to pay for Because unless you got a gazillion million, tr- trillion dollars, and even if you do, you're going to get your fast, you know, your fast fix treatment because you are a celebrity and nobody's going to hold you accountable. But the point is this. There is a way to go about it. There is a holistic way. There is a way to help people learn new life skills. There is a way, and I got to tell you, I, I am just not, I'm thinking to myself, why do we think a pill is going to do that? But you've written a whole book. So can you help us out yes. here?
2: Yes. And um, there's a couple of ways to talk about it. The first thing is to understand the multi-billion-dollar pharmaceutical industry and to mm. understand there's The longest chapter in this book talks about the uh, relationship between the American Psychiatric Association, the DSM-5, 4, and 3, and the pharmaceutical companies, which clearly identifies the conflicts of interest that are playing out. And so, you want to be aware of the fact of who is benefiting from this. And and so. All we want to do in acknowledging that is to identify that the benefits are for the pharmaceutical companies making billions of dollars by instilling fear in the collective that if we don't medicate our children, then awful things will happen. As a result, they will not be successful or they could grow up to perpetrate horrific acts on other people. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that this all started with Columbine, and at that Mm -hmm. point... Uh, things that we could never, ever have comprehended, comprehended in our collective schemas occur, where we have adolescents perpetrating such horrific acts on other adolescents, and and in fear, in the collective being fearful, and we've seen this play out throughout history. Then these kinds of interventions um, can take foothold because parents um, are easily easily become fearful as it relates to their children and anything indicating that they may not be successful and will try anything that they can. So that's one way we would talk about it. But also what makes this modality so radical and where I get my pushback from when I'm working with people initially is what makes it very difficult for people to accept this at first glance is that it? this is a a whole paradigm shift in which I'm asking people to recognize how completely reliant they are on the other to make themselves feel better about themselves. And so with just that whole shift in orientation where I keep requiring people to focus exclusively on themselves and to stop identifying that, Someone or something in their environment is the reason why they can't have the experience that they desire. Now the only exception to that is children, because they are reliant on the authority that keeps them safe, parents, teachers, administrators, um, have less freedom for autonomy. So when children are brought to me, and this is where I usually get to work with most adults because they've identified, this is a very classic presentation, they've identified that one of their children is out of control, and if I'm able to help their children not be out of control or shift the behaviors that are unwelcome that are showing up in the family system, then the whole family will be fine, and in actual fact. The child who's out of control is the healthiest member of the family, and I usually wait to about the last five minutes of the first session to share that information just to get their attention, because this is the child that recognizes that everyone in the system, through their dysfunctional behaviors and an attempt to get their own individual needs met by having other people have to show up a certain way, this one child recognizes at a deep unconscious level that this has everybody out of integrity with themselves. And so these behaviors are just indications that the individual is out of integrity with themselves, and children have less freedom to be able to make those changes for themselves. So I focus mostly on the parents when we have issues with children or adolescents that are creating sort of fear and anxiety and concern in the collective, whether it's just contained within the family or if it's met the criteria of concern in the school um, or if, for whatever reason, the child has had contact with the legal system.
1: Well, I mean, in the book, what you're talking about is epigenetics. And, you know, in talking about this, you know, we have this idea that we are out in the world, and and I I know you've heard people say this. I know I have. You know, you go and you get a diagnosis. Let's just, let's just talk about one of the items in your book that you that you beautifully talk about. Uh, sure. You're now either a parent or you're now a, a a child, and all of a sudden you are now ADD ADHD, and your entire then future becomes, I did this because I am that. And I want to ask you, what is the impact of that very simple cause and effect analogy?
2: Well, it extremely limits anything different to change. I know that's redundant. Let me say that a different way. Mm -hmm. The capacity for the individual to have a different experience is very limited if they are strongly aligned to their diagnosis. So one of the first things that happens that I, again, I do differently, is I do not pathologize any behavior. And I re- And if there's any reference in my sessions as to a diagnosis, it's because they've been given the diagnosis by someone else. And then it just indicates that there are certain patterns in their behaviors. And so ADD, ADHD, D is a phenomena that develops in my mind at the same time as standards of learning increase in the classroom, in which we're asking our children to sit still for longer periods of time and take in way more information than what is appropriate and to process it without allowing the body to move at all. And we know that in order to process information, you need to move the body. So cuts in education were happening at the same time standards of learning were being implemented and increased, and the child is not able to sit still. And so the behaviors always make perfect sense when you understand the environment and what the expectation of the child is within the environment. And mostly what I've identified is the systems are inherently pathological and they're dysfunctional. And to ask our children to do some of the things that we're asking them to do on a daily basis and then identify that their inability to do it, which is not healthy to begin with, meets the criteria for a certain diagnosis that then requires us to medicate them. And when I first started in this field in my 40s, some of the first families that I worked with was the situation in which the parents were terrified because administrators in the school had told them that if they had not medicated their children, then the children would not be allowed to stay in school. And despite the fact that this was never legal to do, it was happening all the time, and to some extent still does happen. And so the child in needing desperately to just survive the environment and to fit in and not appear to be any different than his peers is deeply imprinted by these projections Mm. and the split that occurs within the individual around these unwelcome and unhealthy projections sets the individual up to then express further dysfunctional behaviors and all anybody is doing, no matter how old they are, is they're just trying to survive the experience. And children have less let's say they have less Coping mechanisms to do that with for a number of reasons, including the fact that the brain doesn't stop developing until they're 25, but because they are being controlled by all the authorities in their different environments. And the other thing that also shows up around this consistently is that parents, uh, even with the best of intentions, and myself included. Uh, when I was parenting uh, child-adolescent, was parenting unconsciously through unresolved imprinting. So, you know, we are asking our children to do what we were unable to do because of our own trauma imprinting. And that's one of the other things that gets addressed in the work that I do, because uh, that's That is unreasonable and somewhat arrogant is the word that I use to expect that your children are going to be able to master things in ways that you never were at that age. But the reason that the expectation is there is because then it helps the parent minimize their anxiety around any awareness that they may still have at the conscious and mostly unconscious level that they did not meet expectations according to what projections were coming from them in their environment.
1: Well, you know, I want to take a short break here in a second, but before we do, um, I what I wanted to say is for people listening, uh, the book is called Beyond the Imprint. When we come back, we're going to talk about what is the imprint and what is the new modality. Kate O'Connell is my very special guest. Kate, but before we go ahead and go to break, I have a couple uh, things I'd like you to share. First of all, how can folks find out more about you and then how can they get a copy of the book? Great.
2: Uh, So they can get the book on Amazon.com by just typing the title of the book into the search bar, and that's available. Um, They can find out about me by going to my website, my clinical website, which is my name backwards, O'ConnellKate.com, O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L-K-A-T-E.com. And then the other thing that later in the interview I hope we can talk a little more about is that I recognize that this modality is much bigger than me in terms of its capacity to reach a lot of people. So I created a platform that would allow it to do that, which is a nonprofit called yes. the Healing Alliance of Central Virginia. And so the website for that is the acronym. So it's H-A-C-V-A. Dot org and that talks a lot about the book. Um, if people want a very short and dirty description of the actual modality they can also go to beyond Awesome
1: We're going to take a short break When we come back we are going to talk uh, we are going to talk about all of what you just said under the umbrella of healing what is Perfect. healing? What role can we play to heal ourselves? But more importantly, how can we help others? Let's take a short break, everyone. We will be right back.
3: there. My name is Audrey Michelle, host of Rewired Life Radio and a spiritual growth coach. I talk about this all the time on my show, listening to your body and acting on intuition. What do these things even mean? Here's the thing. About 10 years ago, I figured out I was doing it all wrong. I mean, I wasn't unhappy. But was I really happy? And then life sent me a spiritual smackdown like it does because I wasn't listening to my best resource, my body and my intuition. I was living from a place of fear. I was stressed and I was in pain and I seemed to be happily unhappy. Mostly I just didn't know what I didn't know. And what I didn't know was that my body and my intuition had all the tools I needed to live life as my best self. I'm sharing the tools I have learned over the last 10 years of my healing journey in my online class, Soul Awakening, beginning September 19th. Learn more, go to audremichelle.com/slash awaken. That's audremichelle spelled M-I-C-H-E-L dot com slash awaken.
0: Did you know what you learned in school was wrong, and there is actually a fourth phase of water beyond liquid, vapor, and ice? I know, I know, I too was shocked when I learned this. What makes this new discovery so exciting? In scientific terms, this cutting-edge research explains the energetic potency of water. In practical terms, this missing link of water is now breaking open the floodgates for us to have a more complete understanding of our health our weather and the physics of our world. Join researcher, award-winning presenter, and author Professor Gerald Pollack of the University of Washington as he shares new scientific insights about how this fourth phase of water, the sun's energy, and geomagnetism affect our planet and how this affects you. At East West Bookshop in Seattle on Saturday, August 5th at 7 p.m. For more information or to register, go to eastwestbookshop.com or call 206-523. Three seven two six.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back. Kate O'Connell joining me here today, Beyond the Imprint and uh we're talking about really when you think about it we're talking about change and we're talking about change at many 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 different levels um but the point is are we really are we really talking about change at many levels or are we talking about the different possibilities for us to change but having a paradigm shift having a new blueprint to replace the imprint to have a modality that can be explained in a way that gives every single person the opportunity um and you know kate you and i were talking during the break and i says it is really near impossible right you know to 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 change something at the cellular memory if you don't have like a cellular memory or a new memory, or a cellular imprint to reference to change it to. So it's kind of like I'm playing pin the tail on the donkey. I've got my blind f- uh, folder things on. I've got the thing covering my eyes on. But wait, that's not enough. Let's put me in a dark place that even if I took off the cloth on my eyes, it's still dark. I can't find the donkey because now what you've done is given me a scenario where I have no memory of the memory to help me create the change that I want to change. So I don't know how we change a cellular memory other than change it at the cell.
2: Well, that's correct. That's that's exactly what we're doing. We're dissolving the memory. And One of the distinctions that I write about is the fact that the collective would assume that our memories are in our mind, in our brain, and that is not true. The memory of everything that we've experienced is encoded in the 50 trillion cells of our body, and the body has the memory, and the body will send us signals of the fact that it has memory of whatever we've experienced when something in the environment shows up that resonate with the stimulus of what traumatized us in the first place, and that's how we become activated, that's how our adrenals become activated in the fight or flight uh, response, and that's when we begin to defend ourselves. So how I would talk about what you had just introduced is that when you understand that at the moment of conception we have inherited all the memory of our respective DNA lineages, and very recently scientists in the field of epigenetics have actually been able to identify that going back 14 generations. So in my opinion, there wouldn't be any reason to assume it didn't continue beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so at the moment of conception, before we're ever born, we are already carrying the memory the trauma memory of our respective ancestors. And so that begins to set us up in terms of vibrational resonance for attracting experiences into our life that allow us to cycle through these types of traumas. And so what happens in response to having done that, until you find somebody like me to work with, is that you have been defending yourself all this time because these defense mechanisms have been what have kept you safe, what have allowed you to stay on the planet. But what needs to happen in a therapeutic intervention is to first of all identify that this is what's been playing out, and to suggest that when we go beyond the allopathic Uh, Western medicine approach to therapy and medicine, and we start working with energy medicine and the modalities inherent in there, that we can actually dissolve the actual imprint. And so it doesn't mean that we don't have a reference point. We'll always have a reference point because our schemas are what we use to infer future probabilities from everything that we've ever experienced in our life. But the cellular memory it actually ends up being the stumbling block that allows us to come back into alignment with who we were before we'd ever experienced any of these imprints. And so it is a process of letting go. That is the key. It, the intervention it consistently has to do with re- reflecting back to the individual when they're sitting with me. To what degree they're still defending themselves and their beliefs, and to ask them to let go. And one of the keys for this is to understand that we're the only animals on the planet that are aware that our time here is finite. Right. And, and because of that, that sets us up for everything, because everything that we're doing is defending loss. We're trying to mitigate loss whether it's a relationship or somebody actually leaving the planet. But that's what a lot of our defenses are doing in an attempt to reassure us that we're safe and secure. And so one of the things that I do with people is I help them get very comfortable with the whole idea that being physical in a body on the planet in this dimension, within a dualistic paradigm that we've been conditioned with for centuries, the key to getting beyond all of that is to become really comfortable with law. And I remind them that the mystery schools that existed thousands of years ago, primarily primarily and exclusively focused on people becoming very comfortable with the understanding that at some point they will drop the body. And the more comfortable you can come with, become with that, then the less vulnerable you're going to be to manifest any of these mental, emotional, or physical disease expressions.
1: Yeah, I mean, aren't we also talking about um, an imprint of beliefs, ideology, ideas, Correct. That, all, yeah, so we're not just talking with, well, wait a minute, I had pneumonia when I was a child, and so my cells remember ammonia, pneumonia. We're talking about beliefs and ideas of things. Right. Um, right? Which
2: begins at the moment that we're born, that these conditions are placed on us. and And, you know, within the dualistic paradigm of learning that, you know, we're either good or bad. And we learn at a very young age that our behaviors are going to elicit a positive response or a negative response. That's how we begin to be shaped. And that's how we begin to take in at a very deep level that our sense of self and our sense of worth is going to be, deter- be dependent on not only our behaviors and what we do, and it also how the collective perceives us. And, you know, back to us, that we, don't, we haven't gotten it right, that we're out of integrity with ourselves. And that's a very difficult reflection for most people to sit with, whether you're the parent of an adolescent or whether you're a teacher or an administrator.
1: Well, you know, let's talk about a couple things in the book that you have. But before we jump there, I want to tell everybody that uh, Kate O'Connell is joining me here today. The book is called Beyond the Imprint, A New Modality um, I, 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 for mental health practitioners and those seeking help. So let's talk about a few very important things that are in the headlines, if, we, if you don't mind. One of them no, is... One of them is this new term, dual diagnosis. Now, uh, the point that I think that we have here is we have these, as as people in psychology, we have these big fat books. And you look at these categories and the list keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And yet at the same time, the ability to literally get the kind of help that people need that are suffering uh, from mental challenges, there's just an enormous gap. And, and is it because people don't want help? I don't think that's the case. Is there something here that is amiss and creating this gap between folks that want help and the ability to actually get help to them. You see what I'm saying?
2: Oh, totally. And um, I will say that a lot of the trauma that I've sat with in my practice over the last, just private practice over the last seven years, has been trauma that people have experienced while interacting with the mental health system. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I keep focusing on the fact that the collective system focuses primarily on the behavior. And all behaviors make perfect sense when you understand the imprints and the schemas that are informing them. And so the more you focus on the individual's behavior and you give them a diagnosis in order to give your assessment credibility, that it is all about that, uh, the more the individual will defend the behavior. And so, whether we're talking about a physical disease or a mental disease that's identified in the DSM-5, we're still talking about the imbalance that occurs within people in response to not being able to conform to the conditioning that they've been imprinted with. And so, When you don't pathologize the behavior, when you have somebody sitting in front of you who's been given one or two or three diagnoses throughout their life, and you identify that that's not relevant to the work that we're going to do, then all of a sudden you can see this incredible response of relief because there's an inherent split that occurs in anybody when they're given a diagnosis, and they're identified that their behaviors meet the level of pathological. And so, um, you know, it's a good time to remind everyone out there or to share with them for the first time, because maybe they've never understood this, is psychology is not a science. And the fact that it's still being passed off as a science is unfortunate. And how do I know this? Because when I was working in intensive in-home services and... One of the treatment goals consistently was that I was to take the child to the local experts in psychiatry that it was what I referred to as turnstile psychiatry because you were seeing a resident each time. So you saw a different person each time, a different doctor, and the diagnosis constantly changed, which is why you would end up with a 10-year-old on a on a psychotropic cocktail of medication with no serious inquiry as to how this was impacting the brain and i was observing behaviors that showed up very concerning in response to clearly the medication that they were being given so in terms of whatever the diagnosis might be to me that's irrelevant uh, all it tells me is what the behaviors have been that are expressions of the fact that the individual is out of balance and when we've had chronic lifetime experiences of unending stress that has at times met the level of trauma, then we are all going to be indelibly marked at the cellular level, at the deepest level, by those experiences. And so healing is not the absence of symptoms. Healing is coming back into alignment with the self. And the only way that I believe an individual can come back into alignment with the self is by first, if we stop pathologizing the behaviors, and we do that because the behaviors scare us. We do that because when people appear to be completely out of control, then there's a recognition that the control mechanisms that are in play are no are no longer effective, Um, and so that just continues to create this divide in which people are defending their perceptions and and their interventions as to how we keep the collective safe from each other and from other people. And the fact of the matter is, is we fundamentally, when you get right down to it, don't have control over anything. The only thing we fundamentally have control over is ourselves. And so the focus, again, still needs to keep coming back to the self. And to help people understand that they absolutely have the capacity to heal from anything that they've ever experienced, including one diagnosis, dual diagnosis, three uh, diagnosis, and all the medications that they've taken that have changed how their brain developed, and all the times that they've been um, detained against their will, that's a very unique kind of trauma to sit with when people have been institutionalized against their will. And I get an opportunity to sit with that a lot. And again, coming back to the energy medicine is the most effective for healing that at the cellular level.
1: You know, let's talk about this for a quick minute, because I I don't want to blow by this. You know, we talk about energy medicine, you know, as if it's the next frontier. Who said that? Dr. Oz. But there have been, let's just talk about the reality of energy medicine and its ancient roots, if if you don't mind. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Because we talk about this. As if, oh my gosh, the next frontier, energy medicine. Honestly, if we don't go back to ancient times when some of the shamans, some of the people that we consider healers, doctors, they use this. And yeah. boy, I'll tell you, we need to be connecting the dots here, I think.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, is I believe that one of the reasons why I was able to create this, framework of understanding in Mm -hmm. how to assist people healing beyond their imprints at the cellular level is because before I ever stepped foot in a graduate school of psychology, I spent Mm -hmm. five years up in the Adirondack training with a Cherokee medicine woman and shaman. Yep. So my initial training was within the field of energy medicine and understanding the power and the profundity of what people experience when accessing these modalities. And the reason I went to graduate school was because I recognized that we were only reaching a very, very small percentage of the population um, because of the primary focus on Western medicine and evidence-based practices. And so I went back to grad school and got a degree in psychology specializing in mental health counseling specifically so that I could access more people and have more influence and even at that time I had no idea that I was actually going to create a modality that (laughs) up until now did not exist in the field of mental health counseling and that took me a while to be able because of my own printing imprinting to be able to to understand I was very resistant to what I was doing as I was doing it Um, because of my own imprinting probably going back many lifetimes in which when I shared radical information to the collective consensus, it didn't end well. (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: No, it wouldn't end well.
2: I actually ended up creating the vehicle for my own healing, which is a major part of this thesis, is that if you're doing this work, you better be working on yourself.
3: Oh, Because otherwise
2: you've created a hierarchy in the experience with the client in which you're saying, I'm okay, you're not, I'm the expert, and we have another codependent expression of trauma.
1: Yeah. And and the last thing that anybody needs from us is a codependent relationship. I mean, Correct. They, they don't. People come and ask for help because, A, they want something different now what does that even mean does it mean that they want to wake up and they want a million dollars well maybe it does but it doesn't it also mean that the degree by which so you know I had a mentor that said to me once Pat you know what here here's here's the deal with change and I said what what okay what is it the people will make the move when the pain of change right, yep. is less than the pain of staying the same. Correct. Meaning that, that correct. it's more painful for me to stay just exactly the way it is. That's where, like, the pain of being me right here right. in the moment, that is like, yeah, I'm going to change. Because the change thing's right. less painful. <laughs>
2: right. And actually a catastrophic event can also be uh, a motivator. Exactly. And with I would include divorce in that. Would be oh, unexpected. yeah. I, yeah, I get people in here a lot because there was like a seismic uh, experience event that sort of completely imploded uh, the foundation of well, how, how they understood themselves to be and the roles that they were playing in their life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, change is... is extremely anxiety-provoking because it requires loss. And Mm -hmm. we're back to the understanding that people will continue to develop very creative coping mechanisms around whatever dysfunctional behaviors and relationships they've created in their life rather than trust that they could let go enough to have a different experience so the Mm -hmm. big the big pushback again that I get and if there was only one chapter that your readers wanted to read in my book it would be the chapter on the dualistic paradigm because that gives everyone an understanding of what they've been conditioned uh, with from the beginning and all the ways in which it's limiting their capacity to be truly free. When you sit with really high frequency spiritual teachers and the question goes out to the group, what is it that everybody wants? The ringing response is always freedom. That's all we want. We want freedom. And so this is the path. This modality is the path to freedom. And yes, you identified that these modalities within the field of energy medicine go back thousands of years, starting with, you know, traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture and the understanding of meridians running through our bodies. And how I healed from my physical disease expression, a very aggressive autoimmune disorder that manifested at the age of 13 after a horrific trauma that had me on the other side negotiating the terms of coming back, Mm-hmm. And then being used in the allopathic model for a number of years that made me very ill in response to their interventions. And then that's what started this whole thing was I needed to heal and my instinct told me that the medications they were giving me were poisoning me, were impacting my organs now. So that's when I started I was I grew up in Toronto, so I had the opportunity to reach out to a naturopath and it was paid by insurance. We had health insurance. Everybody that's born in the city of Toronto had health insurance in the province of Ontario. It's a given. It was a given. And so I do know the difference of what that feels like when you have that security. Yeah. And the fact that I was able to explore a lot of the modalities within the field of energy medicine, and they were paid for by my provincial health insurance. And that's what started me on my spiritual path. It started with alternative medicine, and then it evolved into spiritual teachers and then studying very seriously with medicine people and then, then developing the clinical aspect. And I've integrated all of it. And so when people come to sit with me, regardless of what they've been at the effect of, one of the first things we do is we support the physical body because it doesn't do any good to talk to somebody about what their emotional and mental sort of experiences are that have them in pain and suffering. If the body's not supported, because when you start to give the body the proper support and nutrition, a whole lot happens in the brain. I mean, brain chemistry is critical. Having balanced brain chemistry is critical. So all of that gets covered when you sit with me.
1: Yeah. Part of this, too, is, as you so brilliantly uh, put forth in the book, is you cover everything from finding a, thera- a therapist to the power of gratitude. And I just want to thank you so very much. I mean, this is so comprehensive. Um, thank you. And you know and, and I love that you talk about the idea that this is beyond the imprint. you know, beyond yes. everything we think that we have to be destined to. We do have the ability to transcend that. Thank you so much for that. Please let folks know how they can get a copy of the book, um, what your website is, if you don't mind. And then I want to ask you your personal message. What would you like to leave us with today?
2: So um, the personal message is to inspire everyone that's listening that regardless of what is going on in their life at the moment with themselves, with their children, with their spouses, with their parents, that feels like it's out of control and that they have very little ability to affect a different outcome, is that when we go to the quantum level, we understand that when you change yourself, everything outside you changes. And it starts with your perception of what is happening. I love it.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, websites, how to
2: contact
1: you, all of thank the above. Yes,
2: yeah, so uh, you can go to Amazon.com and order the book, Beyond the Imprint. And you can find out more about me on my clinical website, which is O'Connell, oconnell And you can also find out about the nonprofit that I've created, As a platform, health and educational platform to expand on all of the themes in the book is the Healing Alliance of Central Virginia, which is H A C V A dot org.
1: Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. It was great to have you on the show.
2: Well, thank you for all that you do. This was spectacular.
1: Well, uh, everybody out there, there's lots more in the book. Um, the ball is really in our court. Uh, thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. Don't forget uh, at one o'clock today, Lime Talk Radio. But the other thing I want to say is if you want to find out more about us, go to the drpatshow.com or go to transformationtalkradio.com. The other thing, please email us at info, I-N-F-O at the Dr. Pat Show. And remember You are and have been born to absolutely experience an amazing life. We're here to help you. We'll see you next time.
2: seeing
0: audio was via a Skype call